Okay, <laughs> the hunt for transformational AI. I think I'm gonna start this talk a little different than other talks I've given. I'm gonna start with a love story. So back when I was 20, I remember hitchhiking to Reno to, to see my girlfriend, who's, who's now my wife. We've been married for 17 years. And hitchhiking has a lot of risks, and so does building models and putting models into production. And a brief story about one of the risks that, um, that I was maybe naive to, the first trip out to Reno, the sun was setting, there was desperation to get there. I, I really just had to finish this trip. And I got into a truck with two strangers and they, the driver and the passenger, I don't know what they were on, but they were on a variety of things that impaired them. So the person next to me, I think during the trip across the Utah desert heading to Wendover, I think he introduced himself to me five times. So he'd look over and see me in surprise. And then the other thing about these two people, they picked me up hitchhiking. They started to ask if they could sleep at my place. So they started to say, please, well, can we crash on the floor? We won't eat out of the fridge. And I had to keep reminding them that I'm a hitchhiker. You picked me up. I have no place. I'm going to Reno. And this experience was probably, you know, you're young, you're dumb. You haven't, you haven't really experienced the world yet. You're learning. But just like this experience probably being a little reckless, luckily nothing happened, nothing where I have to pay the consequences for it. Uh, got there safely, no one was harmed. But just like that with building models, we have unintended consequences. And I like to kind of see the world this way where you start with experimental AI that becomes incremental. And the goal of this talk is to get people really excited about transformational AI. So this is me, this is me in 2008. I'm a junior data scientist. I'm really excited to go out and see the world. And I'm a little bit naive. And I go get my first job at uh, I Am Flash. And, and I'm naive to some of these threats. And so some of the threats that I haven't personally experienced yet at that time are this, the idea of a useful model, a model that can outlive me, outlast me, that can be owned by someone else, that can be owned by engineering. Feature drift is a scary thing that I'm not familiar with. A model that's working well for one month, two month, three month can suddenly go off the rails and cause catastrophic um, outcomes. And then bias, that's also something I'm unfamiliar with. I can build a model that can amplify sexism, race, racism, ageism, or another type of bias. I don't really understand that. Um, but the scariest thing is my son, by the way, with the Dumb and Dumber Bangs, um, eating Red 40. This is, a, this is the scariest thing of all, especially after the Red 40 has been consumed target leakage. So anyone who's been a more seasoned data scientist, there's been a point in their life where they've celebrated 99% accuracy or the, this model is going to change the world. And then they go and they present that to their executive team or even worse, they put it into production and they get burned. It's not as good as they said it was. And so I've definitely been there. I've definitely built models where, um, where I've had features coming into the model, like a churn model, and there's a feature coming in called customer color, and it allows me to get 99% accuracy, but it turns out the customer color is essentially a churn identi identifier, something that I'm not thinking about. So there's, there's this clumsy gap between subject matter experts and data scientists that are hitting the ground running, and they run into these issues. But I'm gonna tell you a story, one of, one of my first hard lessons that I learned in production where I was working here. This is I Am Flash. This room is called the Billion Dollar Room. It's where they have all, the, all their photolithography. So I spent at least a full year of my life in this room, working night shift, listening to, to music, wearing the, the white ninja suit. 
And there's a lot of different departments in this fab. And there was a particular tool called a chemical mechanical planarization tool where it was throwing a stone. And this became a very, very big deal because it, it was costing millions of dollars. They couldn't troubleshoot it. They had vendors on site trying to figure this out. And the urgency rose to the point where this was the highest priority in the fab that we have to predict when the tool is gonna throw this stone. And maybe being a young buck and someone that has you know some ego in the game, I wanna prove myself, it eventually rose to the point that it got my attention, even though it's not in my department. And I became pretty excited where I felt like this was happening. So, so this is what I'm thinking. You know, the fab manager, they need a hero. They need a data hero. So just like Bonnie Tyler here, this is the fab manager. That's me on the piano. I'm getting pretty excited. I've got some data science. Haven't really applied much of it. And I'm going to jump in. And I'm going to be the hero and go after this. And I'm going to tell you what happened. So, so I'm so excited to be the hero and to save this tool set from the stone. The stone that's being thrown, and so I, I take a, I take a very aggressive approach, and I pull in all the data that I can possibly get my hands on. So we're talking spin speed, voltages. It's very complicated. So I'm just taking this aggressive basket approach. I'm pulling in all this data, and I train a model. And the model is, the model is attempting to predict when the stone will be thrown. And I remember getting the model in production. There's a lot of excitement. Is is this actually going to help us? Because nothing's been helping us. And I go home. And just like a good story, that the first night it was deployed at three in the morning, my model starts paging technicians on the floor. And so this, this black box model that no one can understand that has so many features and no storytelling attached is paging technicians that a particular tool is going to throw a stone. And, and the technicians are looking at the tool, it's not throwing the stone. And this is, so from their perspective, it's a false positive. And there's a lot of frustration that they don't understand it. So they're kind of, what the hell is this alarm? I don't know what it's doing. The stone's not thrown. And so they ignore the alarm. And then in 30 minutes, the stone throws, the tool throws the stone. And so when I came back in to work the next day, I felt validated. I felt like, see, you should have listened to me. My, my model was amazing. In hindsight, many years later, this was, this was an epic fail on my part. So you have false positives that the technicians are very sensitive to, and then you have false negatives that the manager team was very sensitive to. And you have two groups that you have to you have to appeal to. But the thing that was missing here was the storytelling. I, I I lacked the I was still in the experimental phase. I lacked the tools I needed to tell a story to convince people that this model was working, but to troubleshoot it if it wasn't. And just like experience capture through iterations and mistakes, at Data Robot, we've made plenty of mistakes in the past with customers and just with individuals that work at, at the company, but we've been able to roll that experience into uh, an A to Z end-to-end -end AI platform where a lot of those mistakes like um, target leakage, model drift, parallel model deployment, and, and just deploying a model at all has been automated in, in a way that you can do things very, very quickly in a few hours that used to take um, many days, many months, or even things that were impossible, like this house price prediction model. So for anyone that's curious, I'd encourage you to scan this QR code and go take a look at this short video demo of building a house price prediction model using images, text, and structured data and, and doing it very quickly. So 
so despite all of the value that we get from experience capture, where we're standing on the shoulders of giants, 75% of all AI projects fail. The, the majority of fail. And they fail for funny reasons. They don't. Some of them can fail because it's a lack of technical expertise on a lack of experience, like the example I brought up where maybe I haven't experienced bias or I haven't experienced feature drift yet. But a lot of projects fail because they pick the wrong project. So I, I want to quiz you guys, and I'm going to be looking at comments, so I'd love for this to be interactive. I'm going to show you three AI projects, and I want you to determine which of these was transformational and which of these didn't justify the effort. And so I know most of the people who are listening are data scientists, but let's put on your manager hat to figure, to kind of understand the business value. So the first project, say we're insurance and we can predict if the, the type of roof from a satellite image or whether or not a, a pool is present on a property. So think of this as swimming pools from space. Can I look at an image and determine if there's a swimming pool? Because having a swimming pool increases the liability for a home. And this is something that we'd want to know during the auditing. So this is the first use case. And then the second use case, oh, the QR code was for the demo. Uh, someone just asked that. So this one is a large e-commerce store. And can I use AI to add attributes to images? So users are uploading images. And I want to know if it's a sweater. I want to know if it's a scarf. This will help the process of checking images and getting them into the platform faster. So this is the use case number two. We'll call this the cute sweaters. AI use case. And then use case number three is I want to use AI to look at influencers and know what the brand placement is. Because a lot of influencers, if you may not know, they are being paid to promote Coke or other or their brands on their profiles. And some of them are paid a lot of money. So out of those three use cases, swimming pools from space, cute sweaters, holding a Coke, which of the three was transformational for that company? And, and which of the two were not? So the, this is kind of a trick question. And the trick question is all three of these companies had transformational AI projects, but not the ones that I showed you. So we're going to go back and review. So swimming, pool, swimming pools from space did not justify the work needed. It sounds really cool. And that's something you definitely want to be worried about. You don't want to work on a project that sounds cool. You want to work on a project that adds transformational value. And so the transformational value in the the way to the thing I want to tease out here is we can all agree that swimming pools from space is worth more than zero, but we can't agree on what that number is. Is it worth ten thousand a year? Is it worth a hundred thousand a year? It's definitely not worth millions a year, even if you had a superhuman swimming pool detector. But there is something that is worth millions and tens of millions a year, and that is loss prediction. So being able to build a model to improve uh, loss prediction on a property is worth uh, it's worth transformational value if done well. And for this example, this is also, we can only agree that this is worth more than zero. We might be able to get into some human time saved. But the, the issue that people run into with this type of problem is they don't, have the, the, they don't have the data quality. They haven't invested the human labeling. And this becomes a massive project for them to go after. And when you look at the total value, it's hard to justify the value of this project. But click-through rate for e-commerce. If, if you improve click-through rate by a very small fraction, that is transformational for a company, for a large e-commerce company, uh, product recommendations and click-through rate going to purchase can translate to tens of millions of dollars. And then the last one, product placement. This is interesting. It's worth more than zero. But predicting influencer engagement and finding 
um, smaller influencers is a transformational change. So if I can go find influencers where before it required humans to review very large influencers with tens or hundreds of millions of followers, if I can find the influencers with a thousand followers, that is transformational. It allows me to compete in a market, in a space that no other company can compete unless they have AI. Um, so the, the thing I want to end in, I want to open it up for live questions. Um, so this is a podcast that I'm a co-host on where we interview fascinating people that are on the front lines doing very innovative things at scale with high consequence with AI. So uh, the podcast is called The More Intelligent Tomorrow. You can scan the QR code to go find it and take a listen. We've got Chris Matman. He's the CTO at JPL um, NASA. And Chris Lynch is the CEO at, at AtScale. We have some fantastic people. Shamik here, he was the CDO of Standard, Start Standard Chartered Bank. So you can hear their perspectives and experience as they've had wins and failures in their careers. And then lastly, for anyone that wants to follow me, this will get you to my LinkedIn. And this is my email. If you have any questions or if you want to follow up directly, please reach out. I want to make sure that you guys are successful. So I'm going to change it over to just live Q&A. Um, and Kate can keep me honest here. I think we have a few more minutes. Um, yeah, so I'm... That's hey, it. Hey, Kate. Awesome. Yes, we do have time for Q&A. And I've got a bunch of questions flying in, really. It's hard to even keep track of them. But before we go to the questions, first, thank you so much for that presentation. Really insightful. I love the use of QR codes. Um, not seen that used in, at least in my conference just yet. So I think that was really, really cool and innovative. I'm sure people are probably missing it because it was going so fast. So just if you want to see those QR codes again, you can just watch the recording after the fact and, and use your phone to capture that. Two, uh, your son is adorable. That's like, oh, that's yeah. almost beating <laughs> using him in your presentation. That's awesome. And uh, three, was I, I had a question. You mentioned that uh, I guess over 75% of AI projects fail. Is there one thing that we can do that can at least slightly reduce that that crazy failure rate? Yeah, that, um, so the, the best thing you can do is fail before you start. And by fail before you start, determine what's the feasibility and what's the data, what's the value to the company. And I think some people get hung up or trapped in knowing the exact value. And, and the thing I want to kind of open the door on is people, you can make a lot of assumptions. So if you're trying to determine the value of a project, like, oh, I don't know, can you guess if the value is worth 100,000, a million, and 5 million? And can you just come up with assumptions to come up with that number? It doesn't have to be exact, but you're trying to kind of just find order of magnitude. Feasibility is a very scary thing because people can go after the skyscraper of AI projects or, you know, we, we always recommend crawl, walk, run, get that walking win. And then when you kind of have wins under your belt, then maybe go after something more ambitious. But a lot of people, they they chase the shiny toy and they go after the most ambitious project and it just doesn't get done. But so yeah. Yeah, I appreciate that question. All right, you ready for some live q and I'm gonna try to yeah. see as many as we can. Okay, first one from Amir. How can we accelerate our learnings to deliver transformational results through our projects? Uh, so a big part is collaboration because different people on the team have made different mistakes. So how can you capture those mistakes? Uh, you can also capture mistakes from communities. So working with other data scientists in your local communities, you can figure out common mistakes they've had. We actually want to start a new podcast where it's just focused on failures. So data scientists that are willing to come and talk about the oh no moments or the oh crap or the things, the things they regret. And the hope there is to help people um, learn from other people's experience because that's how we all learn. 
I'm already thinking of names for your oh crap podcast. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that would be funny. Awesome. Thanks for that. Question from Matthew here. Uh, ben, how would you recommend people get a handle on the business side of these data projects other than failing your way to success? Is there a way to study use cases? I love this question, Matthew. Good to see you, by the way. And um, business, that, that's really hard. So I was very clumsy here. I had poor business acumen. And I remember butting heads with HireVue's uh, executive team where I couldn't communicate. And so, um, so some quick recommendations. I know as a data scientist, the temptation is there to explain all your work. Don't explain all your work, especially to an audience that doesn't appreciate it. Get to the point, if you took three or four iterations to get to success, don't review the iterations. Just talk about the success and try to make sure you don't use words they don't understand. So the, my recommendation is pretend like you're talking to your mother or father and avoid all data science jargon. And if you have to show them one thing, show them a number with a dollar sign. And you can you can explain that. So if they disbelieve the number, you can explain how you got there. Um, I've made plenty of mistakes by showing AUC charts to executives and trying to explain what they mean. And that's a train wreck. So um, I think the last thing I'll add is um, a business has a sense of urgency and some data science teams don't. So I've definitely worked on teams where I'm much more concerned about, are you happy? Don't leave the company. How are you doing? Um, where there's a little bit more flexibility, but from the business perspective, there's a lot of urgency. Like having a job is not necessarily a luxury from the employer's perspective. They need a return on that job. Yeah. But I think the data scientists, they don't realize the, the, the scary market that we live in. You have to be producing a return on your efforts for your employer. Yeah, absolutely. There were actually a lot of similar uh, questions about how do you pitch this to leadership, but I think we'll move on because you covered all of that really well. So a uh, question from Bavuk. What are the common mistakes data science people or data scientists do or make while uh, selecting and understanding AI projects? I think they overcomplicate them. Uh, they they bring kind of an academic mindset. They want to do something that would impress their peers. Uh, mm -hmm. One of the things I like to say is if you have zero models in production, a Bayesian method will get you 80% of the value tomorrow. And so why are you reading white papers and trying to come up with you know deep learning finally? Everyone wants to apply deep learning and sometimes it's not the best tool for that use case. So, so definitely bring a sense of urgency and what's the one week or two week scenario. I think that's a common mistake that data scientists roll up their sleeves to work on something that they can impress other data scientists on and they're missing the quick win. So think of version one, version two, too many data scientists start with version two. What's version one, start with version one and just be quick about it. Yeah, I think it goes back to human nature, right? We want to chase chase the shiny objects. We want to do the complicated things. We want to do deep learning on something that doesn't need it. Humans, what are you going to do? Yeah. Um, great question here from Lily. Wish we started with this one. How do you define failure in this in this? I, I love this question, Lily. It's actually a very complicated question because sometimes failure is necessary to learn what's required to solve the bigger problems. And so, um, it's fine to fail if you're learning lessons that are useful, useful, but it's not fine to fail if you're reinventing the wheel based on ego or based on tuition or based on a selfish need to improve your market security. And so we see that a lot where people will try to they'll they'll try to build something from scratch that is already well known and well understood. And so um, it, I think to kind of get to the point of the question, how do you define failure? I would say Failure is an excessive investment in a project that doesn't map to value. 
Mm -hmm. um, it, it's fine if you're if you're brainstorming, if you're trying to figure out a project, and if you can fail in a few days or fail in a week, that's not really a failure. You're you're kind of saving time. But if you invest three months, four months, six months on a project, and if it doesn't go to completion, then that's that is a devastating failure. Um, and you need to ask yourself why weren't you able to fail sooner? Yeah, absolutely. So I've got a last comment and then a last question for you. Um, comment from Cindy. She says, Carl Walker on sage advice from Ben Taylor, rather than chasing the shiny objects and projects. So thanks, uh, Cindy. Cindy's here. She's keynoting tomorrow, so you'll catch her. And then a follow-up question from kind of that comment is from Thomas, who's still crawling, but wants to walk <laughs> in AI. So how, how does he walk in AI? Um, I, I think I love that question, by the way, we are standing on the shoulders of giants. And I, I think that's so funny because if you talk to people in the industry that have gray in their hair or in their beard, they'll groan thinking about how hard things used to be. Like before yeah. Docker, I'm like, oh my gosh, you have no how you have no idea how hard it used to be. But this is also true in data science. So make sure that you're using the latest tool sets uh, where you can do amazing things in a few line of code. So the other thing I'll, I'll say is, there's always concerns when people are starting out about foundation gaps and how do you fix those foundation gaps? So a good recommendation I have is to follow people that you think can keep you up to date, but the best thing to do is get a book. So get a data science book and kind of go cover to cover. I always recommend that people destroy the book. So if you're buying a book, get a paper book and destroy it, have a pen, have a marker, make that book so terrible that no one would ever want to buy it from you. And, and you'll learn something along the way. You'll actually fill in gaps in the foundation. Um, That's interesting that you say that. I actually bought my, my very first data storytelling book from Cole. It's so messed up, I can't even open it without pages falling out because oh, it's that's so wonderful. from six and, years ago, yes. And I would say the efficiency of that knowledge transfer to you is much higher than if you had been on a PDF copy. Oh yes, absolutely. So Ben, thank you so much for your presentation. I know we're gonna hear from you again shortly, but at this point, Thank you. We're going to keep this data party moving. 